It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And now, and now, prepare yourself for the only talk radio show you'll want to turn on. Crank this thing. Sirius XM Pandora presents the place where your hard rock and metal voice can still be heard. You got your ass, baby. Unfiltered, uncensored, say whatever you want. Hit the record button. Anything can happen, you know. I know that ain't nobody out there came to be mellow tonight, now did you? I say, I say there ain't nobody. I'll say there ain't nobody not out there that even wants to be a little bit mellow. Now is there? Anybody wants to get mellow, you can turn around and get the fuck out of here, all right? This is the Trunk Nation Podcast with host Eddie Trunk. What's up, folks? It's Eddie Trunk, and this is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Newsmaking interviews with the biggest names in rock and metal. Each and every Thursday, brand new episodes. Be sure to subscribe so you do not miss one and grab it anywhere on any of your favorite podcast platforms. Good to have you guys with me on this Thursday. As I tell you every week, every interview you hear on the Eddie Trunk podcast originated live on my SiriusXM radio show. That's Trunk Nation, heard live Monday through Friday, 3 to 5 Eastern, noon to 2 Pacific, on Faction Talk, SiriusXM Channel 103, or anytime on the SiriusXM app, on demand, audio, video, and more. And we have been on a tear with great guests. Lenny Kravitz checking in recently. Over an hour with Tommy Shaw, album cover artist Hugh Syme, so much more. We can only bring you a little taste from time to time here on the podcast. So if you're in the U.S. or Canada, please join me on SiriusXM and hear everything live as it happens or on demand on the app and get the entire picture. If you're only listening to this podcast and you can get SiriusXM, you're only getting a tiny, tiny taste of what I do on a daily basis live on the radio. The interview I have for you this week on the podcast happened about a week and a half, two weeks ago, depending upon when you're listening. And it was a big exclusive with Billy Squire. Now, I have been a huge Billy Squire fan pretty much my whole life. One of the earliest artists I ever saw play live because technically he was the first artist I ever saw play live because his band Piper opened for Kiss back in 1977. And at 13 years old, that was my first ever concert. Now I didn't know Piper at the time. I didn't know Billy Squire at the time, but I quickly became a fan of those two Piper records. 1980 rolls around. Billy launches his solo career. 1981, He releases his landmark album, Don't Say No, with huge hits like The Stroke, In the Dark, and Lonely is the Night, and then becomes an arena headlining act where artists like Def Leppard and others open for him. And of course, we all know what happened with the Rock Me Tonight video and the backlash to that, but Billy kept going and released a lot of great records after that period and uh, then went dormant. Billy Squire has not released an album of rock songs in 30 years. The last album was a record called Tell the Truth back in 1993 that was a really good record, but very much flew under the radar. Billy Squire and I have known each other for a little bit. I did a very, very lengthy interview with him back around, uh, I guess, 10 years or so ago, where we did two separate interviews in person, both over two hours long, that were very much like a career retrospective at the time because he was really checked out of the music industry. 
And he remained, for the most part, checked out of the music industry until about a week and a half ago when I found out that he'd recorded one new song and wanted to come on my radio show to world premiere the song and do an interview about it. And that's what we're going to bring you this week on the podcast. Now, I cannot play the song for you in the podcast. You've got to go to any of your streaming services to hear the song, which is called Harder on a Woman. But I can bring you the entire exclusive interview we did. And to my knowledge, Billy's only interview about the song and where he's at now was on my show, like I said, a couple weeks ago, maybe not even that long. So I'm happy to be able to bring you this exclusive interview with Billy Squire this week, free to the world now as my podcast, talking about where he's been, talking about this new song he just dropped, and talking about if this will lead to potentially shows or maybe even a full album. So here it is on this week's podcast, Billy Squire. Enjoy. Billy, how are you? Welcome. Good to be back. Good to be talking with you. It's good, good to have something to talk about. <laughs> it is. You know, there are a lot of people in my audience who had heard that very lengthy interview we did a while back and said, you got to get Billy back. And when I reached out to you a few times about coming on, you had always said, well, we kind of did everything we could have said in those other interviews. But now you've got something to talk about. Uh, but before we get to all of that, you know, how, how have you been and uh, what have you been up to beyond making this new song? Are you you're still living in the New York area, I assume? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going anywhere. Every time I look around someplace else to go, I figure out how happy I am being where I am. You know, so we're mostly out at the end of Long Island. I, I still I still got my place in the city. And, you know, New York, the city will always be a part of me. It's been such a big part of my life. But um it's nice out in the country too, you know. I get to get get to the beach with my dog every day and get in the garden, easy access to the garden. Although I had easy access to my garden in Central Park too, so that was that wasn't a, a tough slog. But uh, you know, it, it's been life has been, uh, I would say, you know, slower since I left the big stage. But uh, it's it's been a, it's been a good ride nonetheless. And then this, once I started doing this song, I mean. It, it, it like threw me back to where you know t to that era that <laughs> you know the people know me for it's it it's quite amazing i you know the um the attendant pressures and excitement and everything that goes with making a record writing a song and writing a record it all happened to me again starting last summer well let's talk about that let's just dive right in on that then so what facilitated you making a song and the song is called harder on a woman again we're going to play it for everybody in its entirety for the first time to my recollection billy and correct me if i'm wrong i was doing some some thinking on this you did an acoustic record a number of years ago called happy blue but as far as a full fully you know full band song to my recollection it's been 30 years your last album was tell the truth that was structured like that so it's if i'm not mistaken it's 30 years since you've made a song like this right well, you're close. First, I'm going to throw in that I have to tell the truth. I feel is sadly neglected. I consider it. We probably talked about it on the interview. Yeah. But, you know, it's some of the best work I've ever done and sort of demonstrated just how bad the rift was between me and the music industry, my record company in particular at the time, you know. Um, but it's something... That that's 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 a space I love to go to any time again, <laughs> and call more attention to it because it's it's still a record that's very close to me. But well, you know, I agree. Almost... Well, real quick, Billy, Billy, let me jump in on that real quick. While you say that, I couldn't agree more. I've said to people many times, "Oh, Billy Squire, there hasn't been a a record. They they don't even know about that record. It's a no. phenomenal record." And I told Steve, your agent, when we were setting this up, when I heard the song that we're going to play in a little bit, your new song harder on a woman i told i actually emailed him and said it sounds like it actually could have been on tell the truth well there there are um there, you're you're right there are definitely similarities and tell tell the truth i did uh, with mike chapman who is a fantastic uh english producer from the 70s early 80s who did bands to like the Swede. he did uh debbie harry and blondie he had he had a lot of a lot of hits um He's a really, really good producer and writer. And when we did Tell the Truth, he took a much more d direct approach to 
the record. I, I gave him more production control than I normally uh, gave out to producers. And he had a vision which was to be more stripped down, not to, you know, not to try to be, to do the arena record, not to do the, you know, the sort of paint that larger than life picture. He, he felt, he said to me, I never forget, he said, Billy, you're the best songwriter I've ever worked with in my life. Your, your songs are that good and people are going to hear them and they're going to be direct and they're going to be in your face. You know, and, and we got a, you know great players on it, and we did. We, it was kind of a no frills, all performance record, and this thing hard, harder is the same thing. So in that yeah. way, what you hear is very similar that way. I was not trying to create "Don't Say No" or emotions or anything like that. It was like here, this is me today. I got something I want to say. I've got great players with me. I know what to do. We're not going to. F around, you know, we're just going to do it. <laughs> you know? And that's, so and what that's what was, so what was the catalyst for you? You're, you're in, in my view and correct me if I'm wrong. You seem like you're for the most part, kind of retired from the music industry, kind of checked out for the most part, the last 30 years outside of some appearances and, you know, doing stuff at city winery here, or there, or, or doing the acoustic record for the most part, as you said, enjoying your time on the beach with your dog, all of that. What was the catalyst? What inspired you to say, "Hey, I want to put something out"? Yeah, I thought. Yeah, I'll, I'll get to that in a second. You're right. I, but after tell the truth, I pretty much walked away from the business. I really had it. And I, I really, I felt like, you know, the, the the business was becoming more and more commercialized. Um, the interests of the of the music industry were not aligned with the artists anymore. You know, it, it wasn't home to me anymore. I didn't. I didn't feel loved or appreciated you know it, i always had so you know so i so i really walked you know and i did other stuff and i didn't really seem i didn't retire but i didn't see my myself really wanting to come back to that so when i did happy blue that was about maybe 1997 98 i did that because i got an idea to do something uh, there was actually a reaction to the music that I'd been hearing at that time, which was very, very uh, manufactured. It was in the days when everybody was, you know, tu tuning their vocals in the studio and and drum machines. And, you know, nobody was playing anything. You know, people were learning to play guitar on YouTube. You know, they, it it was. I felt very artificial, and I and I decided I wanted to make a record that was anything but artificial. We probably talked about it before, but, you know, I said, I'm going to do a record with me and an acoustic guitar and no overdubs, and I am going to hold your attention. I'm going to entertain you by myself. And, that, and so that was a real inspiration for me because I'd never done that before. I wasn't even a really a, a accomplished acoustic guitar player. I never did anything special on that instrument particularly. And with this record, I did. You know, I taught myself to play in multiple tunings. I, I, I went all over the map come, trying to come up, come up with stuff that would interest and excite me. Uh, so that project was, you know, as I said, coming off a few years after Truth was something that I'm also very proud of. Oh, it's not a rock record. It's not, you know, I can understand that it, it's not the record that a lot of diehard Billy Squire fans might want to hear, although... I did write all the songs, you know, and it's my voice and it's my lyrics, and it, you know, I mean, there is there's a lot of a lot of good stuff there, but I'm not here to push that. Um, anyway, after that, then I kind of went, yeah, back to, you know, back to normal life as it was, back, you know, back to the garden. I, um, I worked in Central Park for 20 years, helping doing landscape gardening for them because I live in the park in the city, and so I, you know, I'd be doing that, I'd be hanging out with my god kids and, and the dog and this and that and. Then um, I did, you know, I did do a tour uh, around 2001 when Steve, my agent, called up and and said that you want to go on, you know, go on tour with Bad Company and uh, and Sticks, and I said yeah, if you, if Paul Rogers is going to sing with Bad, Bad Company, I will go, <laughs> you know, because right. Paul's one of my my heroes as a vocalist. And sure. So we so we did that, and that was great. And then I came then I came back to you know came back to Earth. Um, and I and I you know, I wrote a couple songs and but didn't really care about doing anything with them. I just did it and then then Ringo called me. Uh, Ringo had actually asked me to go out with him around 2000 and I and I didn't. I, I I felt that it was incredibly flattering just to be asked to do it. But I had uh, 
two little godchildren in my life, and I really wanted to spend the summer with them. So I, I thanked them uh, and didn't do it. And it was quite quite interesting because the guy who repped him at that time told my agent, he said, he said, Billy will never work in this industry again. <laughs> he, he, you know, one of those, one of those lines. You go, what? <laughs> I right, thought that was right. a movie. Anyway, so okay, well, sorry, that's the way it goes. You know, I, you know, I, I know why I'm doing what I'm doing. And anyway, 2006, I get a call back. He wants me to come, so I said yes. You know, I, I thought, yeah, why not? You know, this it'll it could be fun. You know, it's, you, you, you know, they take care of you. You play with some great musicians. You play with the Beatles. Um, how bad can it be? And it was great. We had a great time. I did did a couple of years with him, uh, and then that got sort of got me going again. And after, after 2008, I actually came off the road and wrote a couple songs and recorded them. And they are electric uh, songs, but they I did them by, kind of myself, but it played all the instruments. But it, it, they're electric songs. But I didn't put them out. They were on my website for a while. But I, you know, I just I wasn't thinking about trying to get back into anything you know so i just did it and had it and still have it and you know they may come out again more officially sometime but that was the last recording i did so that would have been 2009 maybe and then what so, so the, so realistically maybe you know it's been what 12 13 years since i was in the studio making you know making a record right you so you weren't what... far off Right. So what facilitate, like you said, you mentioned a few minutes ago that it was about a year ago that you started working on and thinking about writing and putting out the song that we're going to hear in a bit, Harder on a Woman. What where, what was it that, uh, was there a certain moment or anything that inspired you to say, yeah, you know, 20, March of 2023 is going to be a good time to put out a, a you know, a, a rock song again? No, it wasn't that, but it... it uh, this this is a good example of kind of the way I do things now, which is kind of an organic rev- evolution. You know that something happens, things. I don't sit down and make a, a master plan for the next five years or the next three years. It's more like I I'm I'm walking around waiting for a lightning bolt to hit me. You know I want to I want to feel something that will drive my passion to create. You know, uh, I'm I'm not the kind of person I don't sit and play guitar for three hours every day just to make sure I can still play. I don't, you know, practice vocal scales or anything like that. You know, I I just live my life, and and I'm waiting for that time when something comes to me and I say I'm writing a song about this, or you know, and you know, it hasn't happened a lot. Um, I think back. I, I I read a quote by a great the great jazz man uh, Thelonious Monk who who went away from his career at the height of his career for like 12 years or something. And he did an interview and they asked me, so why aren't you, why aren't you doing anything? And he said, cause I don't hear anything. <laughs> you know, it was like that. It was like, and that, that's it. A lot of times the stuff that, the stuff that moves us as artists, sometimes it's not always something you can just reach out and take with your hand. You know, you, it, it sort of finds you sometimes. I think, I think that there's a little bit of magic in it. When, well, let me ask you this. Let me ask out. you this, because because I'm completely intrigued at the as a as a fan at the songwriting process, and it's 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 amazing to me. And the people that I love as songwriters, I, I always love talking to about the process. And you are certainly one of those people. But I've talked to people who've written songs before, and and as a counter to what you just said, they've said to me, well, if I don't write all the time, I kind of see it as like a muscle, and if I don't work it and don't work at it, it could kind of evaporate and go away. Do you think that possibly happened to you, kind of being disenchanted with the business, checking out of the whole thing, that maybe somehow... Uh, the reason why nothing was coming to you was because you did check out so much and that you weren't working that muscle? Uh, I don't think it's... I'll address the muscular thing later when we get to further into the story about the new song. Um, I think that that, uh, that approach is, is valid, but it is not the only approach. Mm-hmm. That, that, I, I felt at times if I was playing too much or it was too regimented that I dried up. I would play the same thing over and over again, <laughs> you know. Um, so for me, look, when I was when I was in my prime and I'd be re- making a record and going on the roads, I was playing all the time, you know. So I mean, 
I would tune up in the dressing room before a show, and I'd play for an hour, an hour and a half. And I always have a tape recorder. So I would be, I'd get ideas for songs just tuning up and messing around. You know? but, but I wasn't sitting down going, I have to play. I've got to do this. I have to try to create something. It was just part of sort of my collective process. And, you know, that come off the road, I have all these bits and pieces. I could put them together. I had lots of music ideas. I would be, have lots of uh, lyric ideas, which I'd write in my notebooks, stuff like that. You know, just ideas and snippets and things. And then I'd sit down and put it together because I had a record to make. So it was all, it was very kind of, there was a nice rhythm to it. Um, not a strict discipline, but a definite rhythm to it. Uh, and yes, if you break that rhythm, you walk away from it, there... I may not be affording myself as many of those opportunities. But at the same time, as as Monk said, you know, I wasn't feeling it that much. I didn't really want to do it. I didn't want to sell my guitars or anything like that. I just didn't want to be in the game, you know? Mm. Um so, but in the meantime, that, but, you know, it started coming. It, it, it would come back. You know, I, I did the Happy Blue thing. I did the, the Bad Coat thing. I did the Ringo thing. Then, then I got, you know, I did after Ringo. I did my own tour. I did, I did a, a, a pretty, a, a pretty big show, uh, here, uh, in 2009, 2010, which was with with my band, which was great. Where I, which I covered everything I'd ever done. I mean, every, you know, every every record, something from everything. Which was a great. Yeah, I'd never done that before, and that was good. And then I started. I, then I was. Then I was into playing again. I wasn't so much into being Billy Squire, the artist. It was more like just now I'm doing some stuff I really like to do. I started out as a guitar player, and I'm into this guitar playing stuff. So I, you know, I played some stuff with James Cotton. Uh, you know, he's the famous blues harp player who who took a shining to me and wanted me to play with him and. So I, you know, I did some dates with him, and then uh, a friend of mine who I met, a musician named C.C. Adcock, who's from New Orleans, who's a, a real uh, denizen of the New Orleans swamp pop scene. He got me down um, to play a couple, a couple of shows at Jazz Fest in uh, 2013 or something like that, and then. Um, the guy who ran Voodoo down there got me down to play Voodoo the next year. So, so I was having fun, kind of, not with the band, just being me, coming, to, you know, do, sort of taking stuff out of Happy Blue, stuff that I this, you know, me and me and a guitar, electric man kind of thing, and just, just show up and play, and uh, and, it, and it was good. Um, but this is where that song started was actually in New Orleans, way back then, because Cece asked me. Uh, if I would help uh, help him flesh out some song ideas that he had kicking around, Cause he's an artist, you know, he's a singer, songwriter, guitar player. He made a really really great record back in 2004 called Lafayette Marquis. But anyway, he he was looking for something to do, and um, so he asked me if you know could you help me with some song ideas. So I came across I was going through some stuff that he had, and I came across this little little snippet of a recording. In which he sort of he mumbled out this little this little phrase he harder on a woman than it is on a man and I said I hold it hold it hold it that's good I I said this is a hook you know this is a hook I'm, let's work on that so I came back up to up to New York came out to my house uh, I had a tree ground and I wrote the chorus to the song that you're going to hear I wrote it. I was inspired, <laughs> okay? So I wrote it real quick and uh, threw it down on GarageBand and also was inspired to write the horn vamp that you're going to hear that goes, it's also on the song that came out of it. So I had this little flurry of inspiration. And so, that, so I, then I, I sent it back to him, figuring that he would finish it. Cause I was doing it for him, right? <laughs> but uh, he never moved on it. He he just he didn't do anything with it, uh, and so I had this chorus that I really liked, but I didn't have a compelling point of reference, like to finish the song, to write the lyrics. You know, I, I didn't have that. Okay, it's harder on a woman than it is on a man. Why? Mm. Uh, you know, I didn't. You know, I could guess, but I didn't know why am I really. What's this song going to be about? 
So I didn't really have it. So it just sat around. And, 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 but every once in a while, it would pop in my head, and I, I remember, this is really a good, this is a good hook. Then, that, now we finally get up to uh, June of 2000, uh, what's last year, 2022, right? Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to be good with numbers. <laughs> um, you know, last, yeah, last, last June, the Supreme Court came out and trashed Roe v. Wade. And uh, I think your listeners are probably pretty aware of what that it refers to. But mm-hmm. uh, for me, I had, I had what I call a Neil Young moment. It was my Neil Young moment. I flashed back. I swear, Eddie, I was, I was back in 1971, Kent State, Neil Young, writing Ohio. You know, here comes the man again. You know, that's all that sort of stuff. And I, and I felt like... You know, a lot of a lot of the sisters out there aren't going to be too happy today about this. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, I I like to do something for them. I like to find a way to give them some support. And bang, I hold it. I've got the chorus. I've already written it. You know, I, I all I got to do is put a full song to it. <laughs> you know? um, but. Now I had my passion. You know, I, I, I found my will. I had my will. I found my way. You know? And so I said, I'm going to write the song. So I did. Um, and then uh, as I was doing it, I was kind of pretty much finishing it up. Um, I happened to read uh, an interview in which Jan Wenner, who you know, the uh, founder, publisher of Rolling, Rolling Stone, Stone right. came out and said, Rock is dead. And I and I read this. This is lightning bolt number two. I went, oh really? And I called up my buddy G. E. Smith, a great guitar player in his own right, uh, mm-hmm. who who I had been doing some touring with. The two of us, two electric guitar players, without a rhythm section, um, before COVID hit, um, and and we, he he lives out here. Uh, we get along really well. We play like we've been playing together forever. And, I called him up and I said, "I said, I said, tune up, baby. We got a record to make. You know, that's it." And got him, got him over, played him the song. Uh, okay, can we do this out here? He, he's pretty much more connected than me because he, he's a real player. He plays all the time. He, he knows, you know, the musicians around. You know, the studios and all that. And so he had a, he hooked 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 me up with this great little studio out in East Hampton, so I didn't have to slog into the city and go uptown and downtown and worry about getting code in a cab or any of that shit. <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, and I said, well, who we got for musicians? Who can we get to play drums? And um, he says, it's, uh, Simon. I said, here's Simon Kirk is out here. He says, he says yep. And, and Chad Smith from the Chili Peppers is out here. And I said, well, who do you think? And before I could finish it, he said, Simon, you're going to get, we're going to use Simon. Okay. You know, that, that, that's not a hard sell to me. So we got Simon on, we got Simon on drums. And then I got, I was very lucky um, to get Mark Clark on bass. Uh, Mark is a dear friend of mine. And he started playing. Go way started, back with him. Don't say no. We started with don't, on don't say no. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, it's like you know he he's an incredible player and he he really uh, he still manages to put up with me. What can I say? You know, so so I take advantage of it. And he was he has a band called Coliseum in Europe, which is a very very successful progressive rock band. But I didn't know that he was even around. But uh, I was advised to just give him a call and see if he was home. And he had, he had just come in from Europe, and he was around for a couple of weeks. And he said, "Of course, I'll do it." So. You know, I got got Mark and Simon uh, the rhythm section, which is a pretty pretty classic old school rhythm rhythm section, and that's it. You know, and uh, like as we said, it's a very it's a very simple record in a lot of ways. It's a throwback. You know, whether you whether you reference uh, Tell the Truth or or even you know records before that by by bands of earlier generations where you know they're there's not so much of the pomp and circumstance, but the playing is there. The, you know, the guys who showed up know what they're doing, and I think well, I think that that's pretty clear when you hear it. Yeah, I'll tell you this. So this initially got on my radar a few weeks ago because 
on your website, you posted a 19-second clip of the chorus. And my, and of course, all your fans immediately, you know, got excited and said, what is this? And I reached out to your, your longtime assistant, Judy, and I said, what's going on? And, yeah. said, and she said, stand by. And you know, there was a lot of excitement. And then I got to, of course, hear the song that we're going to premiere here in a few minutes. Uh, and, and the thing, Billy, that struck me about it immediately was not only was I ecstatic that one of my favorite artists was doing something new, but the vocal, your voice, it is. I, and, and when all these friends of mine have asked me leading into this day, you know, what's the song sound like? What's you know, I said, the voice is there like this. I love the song, but the vocal, you're, there's so many artists as they get older that their vocal changes or it just doesn't sound the same. It's got that classic Billy Squire vocal delivery that I love so much. Can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, you mentioned earlier you're not a guy that at this point in his life that you're running around playing guitar every minute or singing vocal scales, but it, it seems like vocally uh, you're just as strong as you've ever been. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd be happy to tell you the story. It's kind of a, it, again, it sort of harkens back to the, what you talked about with the question about retaining your muscle memory or whatever, and it also what I was talking about, possibly uh, sometimes magic happens, or maybe you, maybe you in some ways acquire the ability to make magic at certain times. But when I, when I, did, when I did this song, um, I'm going to crow a little bit, because I, I, it's, <clears throat> it's kind of wild to me, but I, in a way it does make me proud. I sang that vocal in two takes. Okay. Wow. Uh, and before I came in the studio, I had sung it once, which was as a demo for the band, for the guys to listen to. And I wasn't even singing it the whole way through. I, I couldn't remember the lyrics, so I had a lyric sheet, and I'd push, the, push Garage Band and sing a couple lines, you know, and then I'd stop it and do it again. So basically, I never sang it when I went in the studio, and I did, I did the first take to warm up, and, the second, and, and that was fine. And then I did another one. Um, and everybody kind of looked and I said, well, you know, normally I would do five or six takes and then comp it all together. Like, you know, which is what stuff we learned to do. And this time I was like, well, want to do another one? And people were sitting there going, well, if, if you want to, you, um, I don't, don't think we need to. And I, and I, and I listened and I said, yeah, I think you're right. What am I going to do? Hmm. So, so it was that easy and i can't recommend that as a discipline i can't say to people if you want to be a good singer don't sing <laughs> you know that that's kind of right. that's kind of but it didn't hurt, it hasn't hurt me but yeah, I, again well, got- I, I took singing really seriously my whole life and i think that over the years even if i wasn't singing for a certain amount of time i know how to sing and i think that is i think i do have that in muscle memory and i think in some ways eddie I'm a better singer now than I used to be mm. because I know how, I know what I can do better and I can manage it and I can do it's 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 uh it's easier in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. So so just just for the audience for clarity on this. There's this is it, right? You only made one song. This is not a setup for an album to come or is it? I mean, it, or is this just a standalone single at this point? It's, it is a standalone single at this point, um, but you know, as I said, I, I'm not making uh, grandiose plans. But I can tell you, uh, I'm a little bit. I have my radar a little bit more tuned for uh, points of inspiration because I would have no no trouble at all going back in and cutting some more stuff. I mean, I had a, I just had a blast. It was like I was so happy. I can't tell you. Well, yeah, and it, the audience is—it took me back to this thing, this this, this this part of my life that I love so much, and it's been—it's been such a part of who I am and who I've become, and, and to be back doing it and to hear it, and, and you know, I produced it, you know, so it was a very small operation. I, I I got a took a young engineer out of this little studio in East Hampton, who I thought I just took a flyer on him. I said, you know, this kid, this might be his shot. You know, he's like 25 years old, and he's keen and if i let him do his thing this could really work out and it did <laughs> he killed it 
You know, Parker Parker killed this this track. You know, he did a great job. So, but it's very the point is very basic, very simple. No, nobody came in who had any. The only the only person who probably would have had any tricks up his sleeve would have been me, and I didn't use any of them. Billy, is in this is this in some ways you kind of maybe testing the waters a little bit with the business? I mean, I know you've kind of uh, you know your feelings about the business now, but is this in in some ways you kind of kicking the tires a little bit? Maybe if this gets a reaction that you hope it does, that it would inspire you further to want to dive back in. Well, it might, uh, but that's not why I did it. You know, I I, I now that I've done it. I I would say what you it could become a, a litmus test in a, in a way for you know what I think you know depending on what happens but the but really the reason I did it was for what I explained before you know it was the the inspiration having having a little bit of the musical inspiration that I sort of bottled and then getting the lyric inspiration being moved by something which happened you know happened in my life you know when it when that Roe v Wade thing happened it was like it shook me out of my comfort zone. You know, I said, you know, like this, this is like a big attack on personal freedoms. This is this is serious shit. You know, it's like I so you know so I I was moved out. It wasn't like I just saying I'm gonna I'm looking for something to do. I'll do that. It was like it took me and said you're doing this. You know, write a song about this. So in that way, it's not kicking the tires. It was just I'm doing this. I don't I don't even care what happens after this in that way. But if it leads to something else, I would be thrilled, of course. You know, if, 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 but it, it's, it's not it's not a plan. It's really let's see what happens. You know, you guys. You know, you know I need I need I need my fans to come out and, and support me. I need I need you guys to support me. You know, if if the song merits it and we can make some noise with it, then you know who knows what we'll do. You know, I I say to. Uh... I talk about this all the time on my show every day from my vantage point, And I've been in this 40 years now there. Nothing, nothing drives interest more and demand and offers more for any artist these days than if the artist is away for a while, because all of these festivals, all of these events, they're always looking for new names, whether they're not, not new artists necessarily, but new names to put out there on the road. Uh, yeah. When I told people that I was having you on and when I was teasing this and uh, I, I was reached out to by many people I know in this industry uh, that are in the live business and said, hey, would he like to go out? Do you think he's going to want to go out? <laughs> Do you have any desire to whether it's behind a new album or just behind a song to put a band together and tour again? I'm, I, I would be lying if I said I'm not thinking about it. You know, oh, that's encouraging. But, but but I also would be lying if I didn't say I'm not that thrilled about getting on a bus and driving around America again. Mm. You know, uh, touring is not as much fun as everybody thinks it is. You know, um, a lot of times we say, you know, being being on stage is the is the fun part, and we get paid for all the rest of it. You know, I don't get paid for entertaining the the audience. I get paid for all the shit I'm going through on the, the other road. 22 hours in the day. Right. Yeah. So, so, you know, and I, I won't lie. You know, my life is, I'm older. I'm in good shape. I can do it, but I'm comfortable. I have a good life, you know, so I'm not necessarily excited about that, but the idea of playing is good. Like I said, I love playing when I was in the studio. Um, there's things that we can do, you know. I maybe maybe I'll do a residency in New York or something, you know. And like you know, Billy Joel does the garden. I'll do something. I'll do it a little smaller, you know. But you know, maybe there's things that I there are ways I can find to do that where I don't feel so much pulled out of my comfort zone, but that I can still do that. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm in. I have a second home in Vegas, and I'm I'm in Vegas right now, as a matter of fact. And I, I don't need to tell you what's going on here with residencies. I mean, yep. whether it's Cheap Trick or whoever it is. I mean, everyone's coming in here, and even if it's five nights, they're calling. Or, or I saw Rick Springfield's doing two shows here. He's calling it a residency. So you can, you know, you can come if you come to a city like this, where people want to come anyway for fun. You can, you know, you can make people come to you. I mean, it's been proven. Aerosmith, everybody else is yeah. doing it. So I don't know if that appeals to you at all, but that would be another way to go that would circumvent the bus. 
Yeah, the residency thing, it, it, it's definitely, it's definitely appealing. It takes a lot of that, you know, that, that negative, those negative aspects out of it. And you you can be in a place, you still get to interact with fans. And I mean, it's, it's, it's something that I would like to do. I'm, I am pretty sure I'm going to do something, but I don't, I'm not quite sure what at the moment, as I said, because I don't know what's going to happen with this song. I don't know if the, does this song put me back in the studio, or does it put me on the road, or does it do nothing? I'm not sure. So I'm kind of, I'm going to go with it. I'm just going to roll with it and see what happens. Well, a few more things, and then we'll let people hear the song. I, I, you know, when you talk about the business today, and, and you're a guy that's been in it since the 70s, uh, before you came on the air, I talked about first time I ever saw you, which was with Piper opening for Kiss, and I, oh, yeah, I still yeah, love yeah. those two Piper records, like beyond belief yeah. and then we had people calling in early, uh, earlier in the week talking about seeing you open for queen on the hot space tour and yeah. then of course later on Def leopard open for you on your own tour i mean there's so much history and you've got an incredible catalog how what is uh and i'm sure you keep tabs on this as somebody that i'm, I'm sure you control your catalog and they're your songs with the industry now and this move to streaming, which is the way so many people get the bulk of their music, how, how is your catalog done? Are you, uh, you know, are, do you see numbers that are encouraging to you, like that would lead you to believe that maybe newer, younger audiences are discovering your older music? Absolutely, I I own my catalog, so and I have I have a very good publisher who administers it and controls it in that way. But I I, I see all of it coming through. Uh, and my catalog is doing great. <laughs> I mean, I I haven't missed a beat since. God, I mean, I think my publish my publishing has gotten better every year for the last twenty years. And of course, for those that don't know, I've mentioned this. Uh, your your music, especially a song called "The Big Beat." Uh, very, very heavily sampled in the hip-hop community. Can you talk a little bit about that when that first came on your radar and, and how that's been for you? Yeah, that, Big Beat's actually the, the most sampled song in, in hip-hop. Num, Which is one. amazing because it wasn't that big of a... that uh, You didn't break until the second record, and that's on tail of the tape. And that, that always amazes me that they found that track. Well, they found it. it, was, it, but, it but what's interesting, which I've always felt was interesting about it, was that it's the first track on tail of the tape, as you know. And it starts out with this colossal drum beat. And that colossal drum beat w was something which I absolutely had planned from the get-go. It's the beginning of the record... It's called the Big Beat, and I said to myself, "I am going to out Bonham, Bonham." John Bonham, <laughs> Bobby Schwinard did. <laughs> he was the biggest. You know, Bonzo was the biggest drummer in, in our lives, uh, and I said, "I'm going to, I'm going to one up him." And Bobby and I did it. I can't tell you how we did it because Bobby, Bobby played the track, and then I did some other stuff myself. But but there are no machines. It's all it's a, it's a live it's live drums. But wow. it was a, um, but it was something that I li literally set out to do, not knowing anything about hip hop, but knowing that I was going to make this beat. And to this day, I you know that's what happened. But who knew? <laughs> you know, I got embraced by by like you said, you know, big beat wasn't a big hit, but the, the hip hop community was exactly what they were looking for. And it it goes on to this day. It's it's sampled half a dozen times a year now oh and, wow and, even and still because oh yeah jay-z did jay-z used it eminem used it right i mean i i, I didn't know well, it was eminem, still used the, eminem used the stroke oh I the mean, stroke was, right they, they did for the for berserk i mean berserk is the stroke guitars drums my vocals i'm even in the video wow i mean he <laughs> he and he and rick rubin i mean really you know i i have to give them a big vote of thanks i mean they i mean they just took took the whole thing and put me put me on a pedestal for that song and it's a great song mm -hmm. uh you know and what they did with did with it was great and the hook that he put in it was great but if you really dissect it musically it's virtually all me and as i said when they when i saw the berserk video I, they even put me in the video so i mean i took it as a, a huge compliment you know that mm. that they did that, but I don't think M's ever done the stroke. I mean, he's ever done Big Beat, but you know, Jay Z's done it. Uh, the 99 Problems is, is, probably, is probably the biggest song he's ever had. That's that's the Big Beat. Uh, 
There are a lot. There are a lot of examples, and it goes back. It was the first thing Run DMC ever did it was a song called "Here We Go." That was the big beat, in 1984. You know, before they did Aerosmith. Right. So it's got a it's got a huge history, uh, and uh, some of these guys, one 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 of these guys, um, who was it? Was it Freedom Williams? When I met him. Said to me, he said he was introduced to me, and he, he said, he said, Billy, you're the Robert Johnson of hip hop. <laughs> and I said, you said it, not me. I'm taking that quote, and I'm going to run with it as long as I can. I was so proud. I thought it was crazy, but he, he said, that's the way we see it. You're the Robert Johnson of hip hop. You know, you know, it's a, you know, the late Leslie West told me when he, he Leslie used to call me all the time, and we used to have these conversations, and he was such a character, and oh yeah, he would call. He would call me up all the time, and he would tell me that there was a mountain song called Big Red that yep. was also sampled by hip-hop. And I used to always push. He goes, it's the most – he goes, Eddie, it's the biggest thing. I go, no. I said, the big beat is Billy Squires. And he would always call me, all yeah. right, then I'm number two. Then I'm number two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, th- I, think, I think that Big Red is, is actually on 99 Problems a little bit. I, I think yeah. I, I think they did something, but it, it's, I'm not quite sure um, how. But he's not wrong about that. But he is wrong about being the biggest. Well, <laughs> he was the biggest until until he got his his act together, right? <laughs> right, right, exactly, exactly, right. <laughs> he was no one's going to dispute that Leslie was the biggest. If we go back, go back to the vagrants and mountain. You know? Right, right, that was no doubt. Biggest. That was a big yeah. Yeah. Hey, so, you know, and one other thing I wanted to ask you, too, is that, you you know, you talked about like how disillusioned you got with the industry coming off of Tell the Truth, which was really the first complete the last complete full on rock album you made again 30 years ago. And I would tell anybody listening who missed out on that record. It is a phenomenal record top to bottom. So seek it out and listen to it. But you talked about how that kind of sent you into a spiral and you got disillusioned with the industry. I'm curious, after what happened with Rock Me Tonight, and no need to rehash that story, it's been told, but when all of that fallout happened following that video, did you ever think, because there are many great records after in your catalog, after Signs of Life, after Rock Me Tonight, Mm -hmm. that I think also flew under the radar a little bit. Were you, but you, so you, for people that don't know, you really persevered through that. There's a lot of people, and it pisses me off when I hear this. They say, oh, you know, Billy was never Billy again after that video and after that song. Totally not true. There are great records that followed that that you made consistently. How tough was that for you following that? And did you think after that, did you ever consider leaving the industry? I, I did not consider it, but it was very hard because. You know that that video is. We won't go into the whole story, but it's it, it is so misperceived, and it was nothing. I I sort of feel like I got blindsided by the by the by American culture in a sense because if you if you think about that video, and I, I this has been brought to my attention. They say, you know, if, if you look at what's going on today, then Billy was really thirty years ahead of his time because. Look at the shit people do now. Nobody even cares. Good but, point. But then it was like I'd committed some crime. Uh, and I don't want to really get into, you know, the, the, the weeds about it. But it, it hurt me because it was not something. I didn't desert my audience. And I didn't change. You know, listen to Rock Me Tonight. The song is great. <laughs> right? You know, I mean, I didn't bail out. I'm playing guitar or, you know, giving great performances or anything like that. Um, so, no, I didn't have any intention of, of stopping. And, and I had no idea, you know, really how devastating that four-minute piece of celluloid could be, you know. But th- it took, it took int- much more than that to get me out of the business. I mean, it, it, that didn't happen until Tell the Truth. Cause, but, yeah, no, it was hard. And I, kept, I felt like I was, you know, I hadn't lost any of my ability. I, I, I committed myself j- just as much to, the, to my songwriting, to my performing, to all that, to everything. And you're right. I think there's, there's some great records that came out after that. But I think what happened was that the audience, you know, whoever in my audience felt that I'd let them down or betrayed them or whatever, found other people to like. 
Well, and I think you know that's what I mean? what's lost. Other bands come along. All this, you know, you know. I mean, look, Def Leppard comes up. There's huge Bon Jovi comes out. Guns N' Roses comes out. I'm away for a couple of years making a record because I had problems making um, here and now. I had problems with some people who I was working with, so it took longer. So you know, you go away for a while. Somebody comes in and takes your place. So I think that all those things kind of contributed to me still being me, but not at the same level, at least not being experienced at the same level. If you came to a Billy Squire show in 1989 or 1991 or whatever, you know, it just, it wouldn't be the garden. It might be the Orpheum, but the show would be just as good. Yeah. And I think everything shrunk, everything shrunk down. But when it came to tell the truth and my label, you know, the, the, the president of the label, who was like the I think the fifth president had been at Capitol <laughs> during my tenure, and and came from came from Geffen and was part of a sort of new new wave assault, you know, and decided he was going to change the record company. He called me up. He when I gave Capitol tell the truth, he called me up <clears throat> at my apartment, and he said, "Billy, this is the best record we have coming out in the next six months, and I'm going to make sure nobody hears it." That is oh. what he said. For what reason? Why would, You'd have why to would somebody ask him? Either he, that makes no he, sense. I had a big deal. I, I had a, I had a big deal with the label. He probably didn't want to pay off on it. He probably felt that you know, well, the last couple of records haven't done as well as the big ones. Uh, why are we paying this guy? And he's and he's old. You know, he's not doing what you know my little go-go bands did over at over at Geffen. So I think all those reasons. You know, he would say something else. But when I heard that, 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 that is such an incomprehensible statement. Um, or, or you know, if someone says that to you, you know you've got to, you have to do something. You're not going to deal with this guy. You know what I'm saying? Sure. You know, he's basically saying, I am going to put you out of business. Sabotage it's, your career. Yeah. yeah. So I walked. I, you know, so, I, so I made them buy, buy out my contract, and that was, and that was it. But, I mean... I could deal with the other. I, I was dealing with the, you know, the Rock Me Tonight fallout for what? That, that was like nine years, eight, eight or nine years up to then, and and doing okay. And look, I mean, look at the last record I made. Tell the truth, it's the best record I made since Don't Say No. Uh, so I wasn't having a a problem being a musician and doing my thing. But now I have a problem with where my record company, like you said, is going to sabotage my career. What can I do? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I can't tell the audience enough if I mean, the record after Signs of Life, Enough is Enough, Here and Now, Creatures of Habit. And as you mentioned, Tell the Truth, the acoustic record, Happy Blue. If you think Billy ended with Signs of Life in that moment, you're very mistaken because there were tours, there were albums, and there was a lot of good songs on those records, some of them among my favorites. So, uh, you know, while we wait and hope for a full new Billy album, maybe you can go, fans can dig back into the catalog and maybe rediscover some stuff that, uh, that they may have missed. And you mentioned earlier, Billy, and we're going to get to the song and I'll let you go here in a second, but you mentioned earlier that you own your catalog. Do you, uh, beyond all our hopes for a, a new record, uh, did you do you have a lot of extra stuff from the records you've made already? Is there any chance or any side of you that might want to put out, say, some sort of box set or some stuff of rarities or anything like that? Is that of any interest to you? Well, you might get a little, but you won't get much because, un unlike unlike uh, Bruce Springsteen, you know, who would you know would spend his last breath in the recording studio to do one more song to see if he, you know he got could do a better one than the one before. And I say this with all due respect, I and mean, Bruce is the greatest, but, you know, Bruce would do 100 songs to get 10. Right. And so you didn't overwrite or over-record much. I would do 10 to get 10. So there isn't anything there is what there's you're saying, a couple, really. No, there's a couple. There's a handful. I, I could do, you know, I could probably do one compilation. You know, or I, I, have, you know, I have a handful of stuff that could could come out, but I don't have no, I don't, I don't have archives where I we just be in you know rolling tape and recording everything and that sort of thing. I was, I was very uh, kind of scripted in that way. I try to only write stuff that I try to pick the best stuff, best ideas to work on and finish them. And I just focus on them and do them, 
and and do you, do you control it? Worked out, it worked out fine. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I don't I don't look, listen to my records and ever think that there's there's much filler on them. You know, there's, right. there's not not really anything I would get rid of, so to speak. Right. And do you control the two Piper albums as well? I that's a good question. I I I, I don't know the exact ins and outs in that because I'm I have I get some. My, obviously, songwriting royalties and things like that. But my publishing, my publishing was split with Piper for, with Bill Coin. So and Bill's not with us sadly now. So so I so I think I don't control the publishing. Um, I get part of it. I get you know I, I'm still a part of the you know the benefits from it, but I do not control it. I I can I don't I do not believe that I can release a Piper record. Unless, well, yeah, because yeah, there's if, fans. If, that... if, if UMG controls Piper, you know, then maybe I do because UMG controls Capital too. So I mean, it, it, what's happened to the industry now is you two or three companies basically own the world. You know, so I mean, if if Piper falls under the same umbrella, you know, as as Billy Squire at UMG, then you then you could probably do a deal, say, and use that material. You know, Put, make that part of something they, that would be in their interest because for them, catalog is catalog. So you, you know. Well, those records, those records, as you know, were on A and M, and I think that's fallen yeah. under Universal because th- those, those are the reason I bring that up is because I've talked about those records and how much I love them, and a lot of people in my audience have said, "Hey, can you get those records?" And I don't think, I mean, there's been some reissues, but not really a real reissue uh, of any substance. I don't even know if they're still available if they're well, on how streaming. They, how do they? Who reissues anything? Do, do people? I don't even. I'm so far away from this business. I don't even. Don't even know how people put out music now aside from streaming services. I mean, what do you, what do well, you, they, what do well, you buy? Physi- people <laughs> physically, well, first of all, I mean, believe it or not, uh, as you know, vinyl is a thing again in a big yeah. way. Yes. CDs yeah. have actually grown in sales in the last two years for the first time ever and have swung up. People are actually making cassettes again, believe it or not. So, no. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a thing. So what's <laughs> it's probably around the corner, Billy. <laughs> Surprise me. So, you know, what's old is new again. And, uh, you know, there there is some interest there on the physical formats. And then, of course, the streaming stuff as well. Yeah, so yeah. you never know. But listen, man, I, I, I cannot thank you enough for uh, taking the time out and allowing me to premiere the song and, and taking some time out of your day to talk to me about it. And uh, you know how much a fan I am, and I, I'm so excited to at least have this song. And I know I speak for all the fans that I hope this inspires you to make an album and go out and do some shows because, you know, we miss you, man. There's a lot of love for you out there, as you know, and there's a lot of love for your music, and there's a lot of people would love to see you fire it up one more time. Yeah, yeah. So we will uh, – I'll do everything in my on my – part that I can to inspire you to do that by playing the hell out of the song and telling people about it and hope that it resonates. I know you will. And I really, I really appreciate the the support. It's been, you know, you've been here a long time for me. And, you know, this is a little something I can give back to you, I hope today, because, you know, you've, you've given, you've given me a lot over the years. So. Well, I appreciate it. And and you know, my You know my door is open to you anytime. Should you get the inspiration to want to come in the studio and talk to some callers? Should you have a desire to play live on the radio? Should you want to do anything as much as you want, as little as you want? Say the word and we'll make it happen because, uh, you know, I think, you know, I, I, I just... I just am thrilled that this song is so good and I'm thrilled that it sounds so good and I'm thrilled to be able to play it for the audience. And most importantly, as a lifelong fan, I'm just happy that you've, uh, you've given us at least this. So we'll run with this and hope for more in the future. Would that be the best message to give to the fans? Yeah, but I would say it sounds like everybody's happy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, but we're selfish too, Billy. We're happy, but we're selfish because we want a record and we want shows. <laughs> you pester, pester me as much as you want. That, you know, I, I don't mind being pushed. <laughs> well, I think Steve's going to do a good job on that too, your agent. So we've yep, talked yep. already. <laughs> yep, no, that's, look, I, I, I think there's a, there's, a lot, there's a lot still to be done. Billy, all the best to you. Thank you so much for the time. And uh, any, we're going to play the song for everybody right now to hear for the first time ever. And I'm honored to be able to do it. Anything else you want to say before we hit harder, than a wom- harder on a Woman? Turn it up. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. 
Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms. And producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Man, it is so great to have that voice back on the radio. Great, great stuff. I got to tell you, I just, uh, for a long time, Billy had like a short clip on his website of uh, just the hook of that song, the chorus. And just, I got to tell you, when I first heard it on the website, just the click, the clip, I thought it was an old song. I, I said, well, that's probably something from like the last record, Tell the Truth, or maybe even earlier here and now or something that, uh, you know, there's an outtake or a, a track that didn't make it. He's just putting out there or whatever, because it's it sounds that of I mean, you know, it, it sounds it's Billy sounding like Billy, you know, a lot of artists that have been around that long. They don't capture that same that same sound. And uh then I found out it was a brand new piece of music, maybe even more excited because it is new and it's maybe a sign of things to come. We can all truly, truly hope. Uh, the song is called Harder on a Woman. It is a brand new single from Billy Squire. And as we talked about, really 30 years since we had a full-on band rock song from Billy that's all new. The band playing on that track with him, as he mentioned, Mark Clark on bass, who goes all the way back with Billy to like the Don't Say No period. G.E. Smith, who, of course, you know, if you watch Saturday Night Live and Hall and & Oates and tons of other stuff on guitar with Billy. And on drums, Simon Kirk from Bad Company. So a really cool band there uh, backing him on that song. The plan is for the song to be available to everybody starting tomorrow on the streaming services. Uh, I see. Actually, we should get it. Is is Joel? Is Billy still on the line? Looks like he is. If he is, I'm going to try to see if I can grab him for two seconds because we want. I want to make sure I have the right information about this, about uh, everybody being able to get it. Billy, are you still there? Yeah. Don't don't grab too hard. I'm here. <laughs> Real. Uh, so cool to have a song on the radio again, and I'm so glad to be I able to, to do that. I had to stay on because I wanted to hear it over the phone. You know, how, <laughs> when, when do you get to hear? You, know, you want to hear this stuff over all the different all the different uh, systems. So the telephone, you know, is right. it, it's, it's viable. I thought if it sounds good in mono on hold on the phone, then it's got to sound good on it the was, radio. Absolutely, it, was, it wasn't bad. It, was, it, was, it wasn't bad. It kept look. I didn't hang up so. <laughs> but tell the audience, because I didn't get a chance to hit on this, as far as getting that, that's available everywhere starting tomorrow, right? It should be at all the streaming services tomorrow, yep. Okay, great. Yep. And then, uh, you know, again, fingers crossed. I hope that when we hang up on the phone right now, you're going to go grab your guitar and go make 12 songs. <laughs> well, I can do the first part for you. <laughs> I'm looking at one across the room, so I can I could get a start on it, put it that way. 
Uh, Billy, congrats, man. I'm so happy you've got a song out. And again, we, uh, I don't want to be selfish, but for all the fans, we, just, we hope it's just scratching the surface, man. Thank you so much again. And I, I hear you. I all hear right. you. <laughs> Thanks, brother. Take care, man. You too. Bye-bye. Well, I certainly hope that Billy Squire is inspired to make more new music. I genuinely really do like this track that he's released, Harder on a Woman. I hope that he makes more new music, and I really hope he puts together a kick-ass band and goes out and plays some live shows again. That would be awesome. As you can hear, if you've listened to the song, his voice sounds in good shape, and he says that he still very much has his pipes, and that's really all you need if you wanted to get out there and do some shows. So fingers crossed. Since I did that interview a couple weeks ago, I've not heard anything more uh, about where he might be going and if he's going to dive back into music. As you could hear in the interview, he's very hesitant to do so. And certainly from a financial standpoint, does not sound like he needs to. But it'd be great to have that guy writing more songs and go out there, get out there and play a little bit. So we'll keep an eye on that. Hope you enjoyed the interview. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Connect with me on social media at Eddie Trunk, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook page. If you're in Houston or Dallas and you're listening to this on the day it posts, I'll see you tonight at the Guitar Sanctuary in McKinney for my speaking show. Winery Dogs joining me for that. Friday, I'm hosting the Winery Dogs Amplified Live in Dallas. Sunday, hosting the Winery Dogs at Warehouse Live in Houston. A lot of other big stuff coming up as well as far as appearances, speaking shows, hosting gigs. I'll hit all of that as we get a little bit closer. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Another new episode next Thursday. Be sure to subscribe. And for those that have SiriusXM, please check me out live Monday through Friday, talking rock with you and bringing you these interviews live as they happen. Trunk Nation, Faction Talk, SiriusXM Channel 103, anytime on the SiriusXM app. Don't forget the terrestrial syndicated radio show. And don't forget the Hair Nation show Mondays only, 5 to 8 Eastern on Sirius XM Channel 39. Have a great rest of your week, everybody. Hope to catch you on the radio or back here next Thursday for another podcast. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.